Every time Heidi and Francis walk out of here, I always think about that presidential statement, uh, walk softly and or speak softly and carry a big stick. I'm not sure why, but it, somehow that seems to ring true. I don't know if that's applicable or not. So, uh, Zachary, would you shut thank you, bless you, bless you. And uh, Christopher, Zach, everybody, same thank y'all. That was wonderful. Um, I know what I was going to say. Where, where is uh, where's Anna? She already she. Well, anyway, you tell her I said that. Uh, my mother's had that conversation a million, <laughs> a million times. Uh, so anyway, good old Carl, that's good. Um, if you've got a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to Numbers chapter eleven and twelve. I'd give my eye teeth to think that y'all actually read it uh, yesterday, Friday or Saturday, uh, or this morning before you came. Um, but anyway, uh, last, well, two weeks ago, I spent the entire week. Do I need to do something, brother, sir? Yes, sir. Uh, I spent the entire week two weeks ago studying and pondering and contemplating and researching Luke chapter 15 and that story about the dad, the father, and the, the two sons. And uh, I have not studied a passage in a long time that, that touched me more deeply and meant more to me. And I'm sure I might have unplugged something. Um. It just, there was so many truths and applications <clears throat> um, for us to apply to our lives and our relationship with God and our relationships with one um, And we spent time last Sunday talking. We spent time Wednesday night uh, in, my, in our living room talking about that as well. Um, it was just so rich. But this week, reading through my Bible... Uh, we we read through Numbers chapter 11 and 12, and man, <laughs> in those two chapters, in God's declaration that Moses was the most humble person on the earth. Now, you, you think about it. That's not your mama bragging on you, or your girlfriend, or your kids. That's God saying that Moses was the most humble humble man on the earth. That's a, that's a deal. And I just was thinking about that declaration uh, by God about Moses, and I was thinking about humility and what that means. And um, it just, I went back to Luke 15 and, and just started thinking about how <clears throat> the prodigal son Bless you. There came a moment in the, in the life of the prodigal son where he grasped this idea of humbling yourself. And because he... Should I use that handheld... That's neither here nor there. I love electronics. 
my son-in-law hates a day like savings times because he's got to come over and fix everything in my house that is electronic with a clock, including my watch, not this watch, but my other little, I don't have to even do that, so he has to come over and go around and change everything. So, um, Anyway, thank you, Justin. Um, what I was saying was is that there came a moment in the life of the prodigal where what God is talking about in Numbers 11 and 12 and in so many parts of the Bible about humbling yourself. He got it. And it totally, it changed his life. It, it totally redirected the course of his life. It transformed his life. It transformed his future. He got what the older brother couldn't get, wouldn't get, and that was the importance of humbling ourselves. Proverbs chapter 11 says that pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom and honor. Pride leads to disgrace, but when we humble ourselves with humility, we start living a life that reflects wisdom. And with that wisdom comes honor. And you see that. You see that in the life of the prodigal. <clears throat> with humility, he humbled himself. And the Bible says, he came to his senses and he said, dead gummit, I've made a mess of my life. Larry Ray paraphrase. I don't, wanna, I don't want to live in the consequences and the harvest of pride, rebellion, independence, stubbornness, hard-headedness. I've had enough of that. I'm going to go home and tell my dad I was wrong and ask him to forgive me and ask him to give me a second chance. I'm going to go home to my dad and I'm going to say, you know what? Doing things my way, always doing things my way, that's a bad plan. That's a, that's a terrible plan, and I don't like what I've wound up with living that way. I want to go home and be a part of a group. I want to be a part of a team. I'd like to get back in with my group and my team. I think that's a better plan. And he ultimately experienced honor a robe, a ring, shoes, a, 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 a feast or a party honoring him because he was willing to humble himself. He humbled himself. He returned. He admitted his wrong, his need for help. He was willing to accept grace from his dad. And it just hit me in a very powerful way. If the prodigal, what he would have missed himself. Oh my goodness, what he would have missed. He would have missed experiencing his dad's love. 
his dad's forgiveness, his dad's abundance, his dad's restoration, his dad's party, he, his, his unwillingness to humble himself would have cost him so very much. But he didn't miss it because he was willing to humble himself. Bless you. And so I just want to, I'm going to, I've got a, I'm, we're going to read, we're not going to read all of uh, Numbers 11 and 12 because it's too long and so forgive me if you're, uh, I'm a Bible literalist. I believe in biblical inerrancy. I, be, I believe the, on the back of my Bible it says genuine leather. I believe that's inspired. So I, I, I believe every word in the Bible is literally true. But because of the length, I have, uh, I'm, I'm reading the parts of these two chapters that are pertinent to this lesson. Okay, so don't get nervous, okay? Uh, but if you want to follow along, if you can, you, you can, but I'm, I, you, you listen to the, you'll see where I'm going with this, okay? So let's, let's start in Numbers 11, somewhere in the middle, I'm not exactly sure. But it says, Moses heard, the, uh, the Israelites, I'm so sorry, have left Egypt. God, through miraculous means, uh, plagues and everything, led the, the, set the Israelites free, led them out of Egypt and made them a nation. And now they're, they're, they've, won, they've, they've traveled from Egypt to Mount Sinai and, that, and they, they stayed there for over a year, got the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, all that. And now they've left and they're, they're wandering. They're wandering through the wilderness, okay? Stopping at different locations. So that's where we are. <clears throat> this is a year and a half, give or take, after they left Egypt, where we are right now in Numbers 11. It says, Moses heard all the people standing in front of their tents whining. And the Lord became angry, and Moses was upset too. And he said, Lord, why are you treating me so harshly? I need mercy. What did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Are they my children? Why must I carry this burden? I can't fulfill your promises to their ancestors. What he's saying is, you promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to get them to the promised land. I can't do this. I can't feel responsible for, for this undertaking to get this group of people from Egypt to the promised land. That's what he's saying there. Um, where can I get meat for all these people? They keep whining, saying, give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load's far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, please kill me. And end my misery. Now those sound like dramatic words, don't they? You ever felt that way? Boy, I have. You ever prayed that before? I have. God, I, I'm in a situation that I, I am so unhappy. I am so overwhelmed. I am so frustrated. I am so discouraged. God, if you love me, kill me. I've prayed that many times. I'm not, I'm not 
Maybe I should be ashamed, but I, I felt that. I bet some of you have too. Uh, let's see here. Where am I? Uh, God said to Moses, Gather 70 of your elders and bring them to the tabernacle to stand with you before me. And I will meet with you there. And I'll take some of the spirit that is upon you and I will give it to them. I will place it upon them. And they will help you bear the burden of the people so you will not have to carry it alone. Say to the people, purify yourselves for tomorrow you will have meat to eat. For the Lord has heard your complaints about wanting meat and saying that you would be better off in Egypt. I love this. This is, makes the Bible so real to me. Now the Lord will give you meat, and you will have meat to eat, not just for a few days, but for a whole month, until you are sick of it. For you have rejected the Lord, who is here among you, and you have whined, saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, Lord, there are 600,000 soldiers here with me, not including their wives and children, okay, uh, and their grandparents who are no longer soldiers because they're too old. There are 600,000 soldiers here with me, and you say that I'll give them meat for a whole month? If we killed all our flocks and herds and caught all the fish in the sea, could that satisfy them? Could that feed all of them for a month? Then God said, Moses... Has my arm lost its power? Now you will see whether or not my words come true. I've got to stop there. <laughs> I love that. Moses is complaining because the people are whining and whining and whining about this food, about not having enough meat. And so God says, okay, I'll give them food. I'll give them meat. And God, what I think Moses wanted God to say is, Go and rebuke them and tell them that they ought to be happy with the manna and to stop complaining about the meat. But that's not what God said. God said, okay, we'll give them meat. And Moses is like, oh, my prayer. Because now I'm going to say that. That's not what I, can, I'm going I'm to take that back and reword my prayer. Because now all of a sudden Moses says, oh my gosh, i got to stand up in front of all these people, million and a half to two million people, and tell them that they're about to get meat enough for a month for everybody. How can I do that? That's impossible. But anyway, God says, you trust me. See if my arm's not strong enough to do that. Let's see. So, so Moses told the people what the Lord had said, and he gathered the 70 elders and placed them around the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses, and he gave the 70 elders the same spirit that was on Moses. Ooh. And when the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they didn't do it again. Now two men, Eldad and Medad, had stayed in the camp. Two of the 70, two of these leaders uh, that should have been out there with the other 68, they stayed in the camp. So that, they didn't come. There's, there's a lot going on there. Um, they stayed in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but hadn't gone out to the tabernacle. Yet the Spirit told them too. So they prophesied in the camp. Someone ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp in front of the other people, in front of the crowds. 
uh, Joshua, who had been Moses' assistant since uh, a boy, protested, Moses, make them stop. But Moses replied, Joshua, are you jealous for me? I wish that all of God's people were prophets and the Lord would put his spirit on them all. You see the point, Joshua's concerned that people might think, oh, we can prophesy and be God's representatives but not be with Moses. He was scared that Moses' authority and control would be diminished through this, okay? Let's see. Uh, Numbers 12. Then Miriam and Aaron, those are Moses' big brother and sister, okay, his siblings. Big brother and sister, that's important. Uh, Then Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses for marrying a Cushite lady. That's a lady from Africa, from North Africa, okay? And a non-Jew. She's not Jewish, and she's from Africa. So it makes his big brother and sister furious. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? And the Lord heard them. And the Lord heard them. You know, when we say things to other people, the Lord heard us. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? Uh, Now Moses was very humble. The most humble person on the earth. The Lord told Moses and Aaron and Miriam to go to the tabernacle and the Lord descended in a pillar of cloud and stood in front of the tabernacle. And God called Aaron and Miriam and they stepped forward and the Lord said, if there were prophets among you, I'd reveal myself in visions and dreams to them. But this is not the way it is with Moses. Of all my children, he's the one that I trust and I speak with him face to face. So why did you not fear to criticize him? And the Lord was angry with them. And he departed from the front of the tent. And as the cloud lifted there, I'm sorry, as the cloud lifted, there stood Miriam covered in leprosy. And then Aaron cried to Moses, Please, Lord, don't punish us for this sin that we've so foolishly committed. Don't let her be like a stillborn baby. So Moses cried out, Oh God, I beg you, please heal her. I want to I wanna, uh, talk to you a little bit about humility, about humbling yourself. But before I do, that little phrase that I just read to me is worth a, 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 a temporary stop. God says to Aaron and Miriam, I trust Moses. You know, most of us spend our Christian lives pondering and reading and hearing about how we need to trust the Lord. Right? April, you need to trust the Lord. Austin, you need to trust the Lord. And I think that's a good thing to ponder. But have we ever thought about how can God trust me? Can God trust you? 
God said, I can trust Moses. I can depend upon Moses. That's an unbelievable statement to me. That God says, I can trust him. And it just makes me... It challenges me. I'll leave that alone. Okay? Can God trust us? Well, let's look at Numbers 11 and 12 just for a few minutes. Um, what I read to you was the Bible's way of giving us a glimpse into the busy, demanding challenging, difficult life of a child of God. Okay? Moses was a busy dude. Earlier we read that Moses got up before sunrise and he worked hard until after sundown. Not only with everything else he had going on, but with lines of people coming to him and saying, hey, we got a fight going on. We need you to help settle uh, our, our disputes. And God, uh, Moses' father-in-law helped him create a plan to take care of that or to, 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 to lessen his load. Uh, but Moses was busy. He was a very busy person with lots and lots of people pulling on him, asking from him, needing him, telling him, right? Can you identify with that? Any of you moms feel that way? Somebody's always needing you, always calling you, always wanting from you. It, it, it never ends. You pull your finger out of, a, out of the ocean, and it just, no matter what you do, it's never enough. I, I just read that, and I just thought about how, first of all, it's a life where he was continually hearing, complaining, and whining. We hate manna. Why do we have to eat manna? And then in a little while, they're going to get this uh, quail that they've been complaining about, We're, then they're gonna. It's, that, they're not gonna like that either. They, they never. And literally, from the time Moses led them out of Egypt to the time he died, he led a group of people that were never satisfied. They did nothing but continually complain and gripe and whine. They were. I mean, it's a very accurate description. He led a group of people that were ingrates. They were ungrateful. They were ungrateful. He could never do enough. He, led, uh, he was given a life that was so demanding that the picture that I think Numbers 11 and 12 wants us to get is that it's a picture of somebody. He works so hard and so long every day that he has gotten to a place where he is exhausted. He's overwhelmed to the point that he wants to quit. 
at least quit, <laughs> if not check out. He's exhausted. He's overwhelmed. Um, those two dudes of the 70 that didn't leave camp to join Moses, there's a, there's a message there. Moses has got a group of people that he's responsible for that he's organizing into a team to help him accomplish the plans of God. And he's got some that aren't supportive, aren't loyal, aren't, don't want to join the team and pull in the same direction as Moses wants them to. They're uncooperative, disloyal, unwilling to pull their weight. You don't have anybody like that in your life, do you? That whatever you feel like we ought to do, somebody's got a better idea or a different idea or wants to pull in a different direction. And then Moses has got such a, a great family. This is Moses. One of the three greatest people in the entire Old Testament. Only... Um, the only two people that can stand in his presence as far as significance and connection with God would be Abraham and David. I don't think uh, Abraham, I don't think Moses got on some kind of a dead gum, stinking, uh, idiotic, foolish, knucklehead dating website. Uh, not that I have an opinion about that. But, um, but uh, got on one of those, those things. I don't think he, he pulled up uh, 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 futurebrides.com and, uh, uh, and found this lady. I don't know why this lady is, is the one that Moses chose. She obviously had been in Egypt and saw what God was doing and decided, I want to go with them. I want to get in on what, I see God in that group. I don't see God in my group. I want to go with them. And so she travels with them, and we don't have all the details. We don't have, any, we don't have the dots connected. But there came a point when Moses noticed her, and he saw something in her. He fell in love with her, and he decided to marry her. You can come up with as many reasons as I can as why siblings would have strong opinions about things that we feel like we ought to do that are right and good and of God and important and they don't agree. Okay? I want us to see today that this is a man who doesn't hover. He doesn't walk across the water once he does. But he, he has the same battles that we do. He doesn't live on a cloud. He doesn't float around. Um, he has a hard, difficult, challenging life that is filled with pressures and duties and responsibilities that he has to get up every morning and fight until his arm is weary, so weary that he can't fight anymore, and then he falls asleep, and danged if he doesn't have to get up the next morning and do it again. And the people that he's fighting with, 
and the people that he's fighting for, they don't, they don't appreciate him. They don't help him. They don't support him. They don't back him. It's a hard life. This is a man that is loved of God, favored by God, blessed of God, called of God. But he has a difficult life. And as I look around this room, and I know most of you intimately enough, surely you're sitting there going, I've been there or I am there. And yet in the midst of all of that, God says to an exhausted, overwhelmed, discouraged, hurting, betrayed, Man who hears nothing. He's not listening to angelic choirs. He's listening to whining and complaining all day long. And yet God says, that's a humble person. That's a humble person. And I just wanted to take just a minute you know, we use that word humble. Rick's a humble man. Brian's a humble man. Lisa's a humble lady. What, is, what does that mean? Does that mean, well, I don't want to get into all that it could mean. What does it mean when God says Moses is humble? He's the most humble person on the earth. What does that really look like? What is that visually? When you, when you hear that, what comes to your mind as far as somebody that was humble? And, you know, we could spend days and weeks and, and months talking about what that looks like, but I just noticed, and I'm just going to get chapters, that I, I noticed nine qualities in these two chapters that I feel like contribute to God's declaration that Moses was a humble person. Let me give them to you real quickly. Uh, number one, it says, if you notice over and over and over again in this, these two chapters, but really through Moses' entire life, one of the things that defined Moses was he went to God. He didn't always go with a good attitude. He didn't always go rejoicing. He didn't always go with a happy heart. He didn't all, But one of the things that made Moses Moses, and I believe one of the things that made Moses someone that God could say he's humble, is that he was somebody that when he faced problems, one of the first, I could say the first thing, but that's a little strong. Let me just say, Moses, when he faced problems, he typically defaulted to go to God and tell him about them. Versus Larry Ray, who when I face problems, my first reaction is that I can fix it. I, I, by God, I can fix it. 
I can beat it. I can get it. I can overcome it. I can kill it. I can, I can, I can, I can take care of it myself. And Moses had a, 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 a he, he was a humble man. He was a man whose first reaction was to take his needs and his problems to God versus feeling like he could handle them himself. 1 Peter 5, Peter says this, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may exalt you at the proper time and cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Do you see the connection between humility, humble yourself, how do you do that Lord? Cast all your cares on God because he cares for you. There's a connection there. A humble person is a person who chooses to go and talk to God about his problems and give his problems to God first. That's that's a part of being humble. I find it remarkable that in these two chapters, but through Moses' life, Moses was brilliant. Moses was incredibly wise. Moses was incredibly powerful. Moses was incredibly successful. And yet, over and over and over again, when people came to Moses, Moses was willing to listen. If anybody could say, thanks, but I got this. Dude, I'm running a big organization here. I got a big outfit going here, and I'm the head of this thing. I'm the, I'm the head chief. Uh, no, no. When people came to Moses over again, that was, and it says over and over and over and over again that when God smoke, spoke to Moses, Moses did what the Lord told him. And when other people came to Moses and told Moses, gave Moses advice, Moses listened. Moses sought out counsel. He listened to advice and instruction versus someone who had every reason to be so confident in his abilities that he he wouldn't listen. He would not listen to anybody else. Moses was a man who listened to others, sought out counsel, and listened to God's direction and followed it. Um, this whole idea of these 70 elders that uh, Moses says, God, I can't do this alone. Moses had, a, had a, a, an ability. What made, what made Moses humble? Moses was willing to accept the fact that he could not successfully navigate life alone. He needed help. Help to do well and finish well. 
versus people that I can do it myself. I, I'm, I, this is so, I know my mom and my wife are here and they're sitting there going, Lord, son, how can you even stand up there and say this? I'm acknowledging to you how unlike Moses and unlike these skill sets and qualities and attributes I am, um, these are so foreign to me to acknowledge that I need other people's help. I can't fight my battles alone. I can't do it alone. I need help. John, I need mighty men like David. And if you notice, the greatest people in the Bible were people who recognized they needed a team. They needed help. They needed support. I think that's a mark of humility. Moses had that. Just getting, I'm just digging a deeper and deeper hole. Moses experiences some real criticism from his sister and his brother. I'd have told my brother and my two sisters where to get off. You don't see Moses falling apart. You don't see him getting a humble person can accept and listen to criticism. They don't bow up. They're not petty. They're not thin-skinned. They're not easily offended. They can accept and handle criticism. Doesn't mean you have to agree with the criticism necessarily. But how do you do if somebody who really cares about you and you respect, they come to you and they look you in the face and say, hey, I'm concerned or I want to challenge you on this or I want to make you aware of this. How do you do with that? When your mate does that, when your children, your friends do that, how do you handle that? Have you created an atmosphere where no one would even dare try because they know better? They know better. A humble person takes criticism. Like I said, not necessarily agrees with it, but they take it, they ponder it, and they're open to embracing it if they can. Moses' response to Joshua. Moses, some of the teams not with us doing exactly what we're doing. Uh, no telling what's going on there back in that camp. Uh, we need to nip that in the bud. Moses and Joshua, it's okay. It's like when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, there's people prophesying that aren't a part of our team. Well, again, what they're saying is, don't you let keep your thumb on everything. And Jesus says, it's okay. If they're not against us, they're for us. Jesus wasn't a control freak. Moses wasn't a control freak. Larry, some days he's not a control freak. Many days, though, I have to win. I have to be in control. I have to be boss. I have to get my way. I have to be right. A humble person isn't a control freak. I admire Moses so much. 
I admire anybody. Um, Alan, I admire Alan very much for many reasons. He's an admirable person. One of the reasons that I admire Alan, I find it unbelievable that he can be so transparent with his pain. Man, my life verse is, don't let them see you cry. Don't let them see you hurt. Don't let them see you bleed. You create an image that looks like a Star Trek force field. You are good. You are great. You are mighty. You are overcoming. Do not let anybody see the pain or the failure that you have caused or the pain or the failure that you've experienced. You keep it strong. John Wayne and Clint Eastwood did not let people see their hurts. And you shouldn't either. But Moses, God, I'm hurting. I'm dying here. I need help. I'm failing. I'm miserable. He was so transparent. He owned and admitted his pain and his sin. That which was done by him, that which was done to him. I, I, I find that amazing. You don't see Moses trying to get revenge. A humble person believes what the Bible says. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And if you wrong me, I'm going to let God take care of that. I, I'm too busy doing noble stuff to walk away, to fight you and punish you. I'm not going to do that. Whether you're my kid's teacher, my husband's boss, my co-worker, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to let God... One of the things that makes Moses Moses, that makes Moses humble, his willingness to let God fight his battles, punish his enemies, and defend him. He didn't hold grudges. Did you? I mean, when when he when he uh, he forgave people and he laid it down and he walked away from, buddy, I'd have held a grudge. My sister got, in fact, there have been days when I sort of hoped my sister would get leprosy, I guess. But I, you know, how dare her, you know. Uh, they, they, they really try to stab him in the back. And Moses' response is, God, please heal my sister. And the only reason God did heal her is because of Moses. That's the implication in that passage, is that if Moses said good, good, she'd have died with that leprosy. But that's, Moses was a humble man. He was somebody that said, you know what? I forgive. I've done wrong. And, I, and I've experienced forgiveness. I need to forgive others. I will not hold a grudge. I will not seek revenge. I will not rejoice when my enemies fall down. I will not do that. He let God fight his battles and handle his enemies versus holding grudges, defending, blaming, slandering, and attacking. And then I just, it, it stuck, stuck out to me that Moses was so quick to pray for his sister. 
Moses saw a, a, um, a connection between handling life and being able to respond well to his enemies and his opponents by interceding for them. He prayed for his enemies. Isn't that funny that that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross? Father, please forgive me. Isn't that funny that that's what Stephen did when he was being stoned? Please, Lord, don't hold this against them. Paul was continually praying for people that had wronged him. There's something about intercession for enemies. It doesn't make the pain go away necessarily, but it makes it bearable. When I give those people over to God every day, every day, every day, by name. Um, I think those are marks of humility. I think that's why God, Moses possessed those marks, those qualities, and uh, God noticed them. He saw them, and he said, that's a humble person. So it begs the question, why should I Want to be humble? What, what, why, why, what's, what's, what's in it for me? What, what's the benefit of being a humble person? Well, to me, there's one real benefit. You get grace. Proverbs, Solomon said, James said, and Peter said, they all said exactly the same thing. God is opposed the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And at the end of the day, isn't that what we want? Isn't that, isn't that what your soul longs? What do you want? That boy coming back to see his daddy, what he wanted was grace. He didn't want some merit system. He didn't want some, um, you know, productivity uh, a system where, you know, I'm going to work. No, he just wanted grace. It's what David wanted. It's what that thief on the cross wanted. Just person after person after person in the Bible. The lady caught in adultery, Zacchaeus, they wanted grace. That's what I want. That's what I need. That's what you want, whether you know it or not. That's what you need, whether you know it or not. And the great thing is, as badly as the prodigal wanted grace, the father wanted to give him grace even more. He wouldn't even let him finish his request. Dad, I want grace. Shh, I'm busy getting, I'm busy getting the grace all ready for you, buddy. Shh, you're slowing me down. We long for grace. We need grace. But, and that's, for us to see that is good. But what's more important is God wants to give us grace. I'm through.
I get tickled, and, and if this applies to you or describes you, I'm not trying to, I'm just being silly right for a second, okay? Don't, don't get offended. Don't, don't be easily offended, okay? Because uh, that's not my point. But I get tickled listening to people tell me what they're giving up for Lent. I'm giving up booze. I'm giving up cigarettes. I'm giving up meat. I'm giving up chocolate. Some of you wives are hoping your husbands will give up any other things. But anyway, that, that, that's, you know, I'm giving stuff up. Okay? And that's, I'm sure that's fine. I'm not throwing stones at you for giving up something. You know, sacrificing things uh, for Lent. But I wonder if for a change, rather than giving up chocolate and cigarettes and booze and meat, what if we gave up our pride, our independence, our rights, our wounds, our offenses, our grudges, Our passion to win and to be in control. Wonder if this Lenten season, we just said, God, I have to be in control of my family. I have to be in control of my husband. I have to be in control of my kids. I have to be in control. But for whatever the remaining part of Lent is, I'm going to try not to be so controlling. I'm going to try to go and ask for forgiveness rather than waiting on somebody to come back to me first. I'm going to try praying first rather than last. I'm going to try to get some help rather than trying to do it alone. I find it very significant that Solomon, James, and Peter all say that they, they, they say it in different ways, but they all communicate the same message. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. That means that while there is a grace that God just pours out upon us, like the rain out of the heavens on the ground, there's also a grace that I can work on and develop and refine by choosing certain behaviors that open my life up to God's grace. And so... I just wanted us to, you know, I, should, I guess I should have preached this last Sunday before Lent started, but anyway, day late and a dollar short, but better late than ever, never, I guess. Um, humble was a humble man. The prodigal was a humble young man. And they experienced grace. Oh, that we would just work on, just pick something, 
something. And for a few days, for a few weeks, work on it. And see if that doesn't just open a little spout. And you start experiencing, and I start experiencing just a little more grace than I did last week or last month. God gives grace to the humble. We can humble ourselves and start experiencing that grace. So, that's what I got for us today. Um, Chuck and Nancy, come up here and help me, please. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. John chapter 1, the disciple that Jesus dearly loved said this, from his, his being Jesus's, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Isn't that lovely? From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were given through Jesus Christ. From his fullness, we have all received grace. Who should come up here and eat that which represents the body of the Son of God? Who should come up here and drink juice or wine, that which represents the blood of Jesus? Anybody in this room who would say, I've experienced God's grace and I have been the beneficiary of that grace ever since and I'm sure counting on it to continue. If that's your testimony, if that's your desire, if that's your prayer, if that's your plan, I've been the beneficiary of his grace and I want it to continue till the day I stand in his presence. If that's your experience and testimony and that's your desire and plan, then you come and you eat and you remember.